So, Visakha Puja is a good occasion to recollect the life and the death of the Buddha. A reminder that all of us are still subject to birth, aging and death. Even a Buddha comes to the end of his life. And as bhikkhus, it's a good time to reflect on his very last teachings. Just pointing to the simple truths that the world is an impermanent place, changing all the time. All formations are transient, physical and mental. So strive on with heedfulness, bring your practice to completion. <clears throat> the Buddha left us the Dhamma Vinaya as our teacher and our way of practice. And it's sometimes it's amazing to look at the life of the Buddha and to have so much clarity, information still available to us so long after his Parinibbana. Even though he passed away long ago, we know so much about his life story and his teachings. But of course, that's just the external knowledge contained in the Tripitaka, commentaries, other sources. What we have to do now is put it to the practice. As he said, strive on with heedfulness. Our starting point is always, tends to be dukkha. And that's why we practice, because we still have dukkha to deal with as an experience in our hearts and minds. If there's no more dukkha arising, there's no more need to practice. But because we still do have dukkha, And this leads on to the effort to <coughs> put the teachings into practice. But in order to understand dukkha, the mind has to be calm enough, bright enough, still enough, 
quiet enough to see dukkha, to understand its cause and to apply the path of practice to free the mind from dukkha. So you notice this is a common theme through the, the teachings, all the teachings of the Buddha. Always encouraging us to <clears throat> train ourselves, our external conduct through sila, our mind through samadhi, and then insight developed through the development of wisdom, contemplation. Training ourselves to free the mind from suffering through a gradual process, step-by-step -step process. In order to really see suffering in its cause, we have to be, have the clarity that comes through the stillness of mind, the quietness that comes through meditation. But for that to arise, we have to develop a peaceful conduct. We have to see the value of training our conduct so that we don't keep harming ourselves and others through our actions, our speech. <coughs> As we keep training our external conduct, then this sense of inner happiness comes arises. It's one of the things as a Buddhist monk you can quickly come to appreciate as you practice that by not following the more extreme tendencies of mind then your mind starts to settle down, even if you find other aspects of the life difficult. At the very least, you're not harming yourself or others through your actions. And if you can appreciate that with awareness, then you gain some happiness, a mind that's free from regret. The more clear you are in that, the more you see the value of practicing, so keeping training in the Vinaya, living in a harmless way, not bothering others for <coughs> material things, not harming others through our speech, our actions. <coughs> you appreciate the sense of happiness, it grows in the heart. And you naturally, over time, you're developing these good habits of speech and conduct. You want to preserve that, and preserve that happiness. Because that is a foundation for deepening your training, deepening your understanding. It's a vital point 
to see in the development of the mind that we have to build our practice on the foundation of sila. Until our mind settles down, we're always going to be experiencing agitation, regret, feel ill at ease in our heart. <coughs> if we're still say, clashing with other people, arguing or having problems with other people or doing things that are harmful to ourselves. If we're not careful in how we spend our time, <coughs> how we eat, how we sleep, how we spend our time, these are part of our training in sila. If we keep putting effort into the, the training of sila, and we develop skillful habits, skillful ways, it naturally becomes more normal for us. The mind experiences the normality of keeping sila. independent of what other people are doing and the situations we find ourselves in. We develop this sense of normality, feeling at ease because we're not creating any <coughs> serious negative karma in our day-to-day -day living. And this is a very important foundation that we have to keep appreciating and putting effort into and refining our mindfulness and our understanding around this point. So it becomes more and more normal. You find, that even if you find the practice of meditation difficult, training the mind in concentration, mindfulness, letting go of hindrances, if we put effort into our sila, <coughs> as Ajahn Chah used to say, then Samadhi and Panya will grow out of that quite naturally. We have to appreciate the refinement of sila, it's that refinement of hiriotapa, sense of shame based around the understanding of what is good and wholesome, what is unwholesome in our intentions and in the fear of the consequences of the unwholesome actions we may be tempted to do. <coughs> Partly the consequences are based on other people, what they think and how they treat us. Partly it's just our own state of mind. And the more we practice, the more we want to preserve our own peace of mind. So the more value we place on good sila, good vinaya. In the beginning, maybe we do it because we, we've been told to. 
and we still have a lot of tendencies to do things outside of sila and different desires and wants come up negativity comes up different moods prompt <coughs> unskillful speech and behavior sometimes but as you practice more then you appreciate more the value of good sila if you can develop it as just a normal habitual way of behavior with mindfulness and awareness makes the mind so easy to calm down even if we haven't or feel we haven't experienced good results from our meditation yet there's just this general sense of well-being that knowledge that you're not harming yourself or others on a day-by-day -day basis <coughs> and this is something that you can pick up from the life of the Buddha just that general sense of well-being, goodness of heart that he exuded through his behavior and no doubt encouraged and inspired others around him in the same way. A development of, say, harmonious relations with fellow bhikkhus, the compassion towards the laity, even animals and so on. The life of the Buddha seems to exude that. And this is you know, the, you might call it an ideal, but it's also a practical reality that comes when we develop sila. We shy away from unwholesome speech, unwholesome actions, just because we know they cause pain for ourselves and others. You know, your mind becomes that sensitive that there's a an awareness before you act you might call it alarm bells ringing or just that hesitation <clears throat> because you know it may bring some consequences that cause suffering to oneself or others if you say or do that thing In the development of sila is like this. We become more refined, more sensitive to cause and effect through our actions and our speech. And more appreciative of the benefits of good sila. Something that's like an investment, a mental investment that you want to preserve, look after. And just like in lay life, people earn money then they want to save their money or invest it in a way that they can keep it. Well, for a bhikkhu, our investment is in good sila. It preserves our practice for better things to grow. <coughs> Keeps away danger and allows happiness to grow in the heart easily. And this happiness is what we need if we are to reflect more deeply on the roots of dukkha, the causes of dukkha. We have to be peaceful enough and at ease enough to see it, see dukkha as dukkha, see the cause as the cause, and to know how to abandon it. <coughs> so out of good sila, mindfulness 
practice and meditation practice grows. Wisdom grows. Because you see the value of looking after your, your mind and not following every intention. You see the value of having enough strength of mind, personal discipline, making the effort not to give in to old habits that might break us, lead us to break sila. So when we're tempted to say something or do something against the Vinaya, there's that very quick or even instant understanding that this is going to harm me. You know, the more you practice with sila, <coughs> this is one of the results that comes up. Is that very sensitive and aware to your actions and the consequences of your actions. And where you're not absolutely sure, well, Ajahn Chah used to say, if you're in doubt, don't do it, don't say it. Because you want to preserve this inner happiness, sense of ease, well-being. That's why if you're in a situation where you're tempted, say you, it's quite normal that different defilements pop up, sometimes unexpectedly at unexpected times because of karma, different causes and conditions. <coughs> that temptation comes up. It's, it's not wrong if you have a sense of panic. That might be the most extreme arising of hiriotapa, just panic, oh, if I do this, what will the result be? So you see that maybe particularly around grave offenses of the Vinaya, Parajika, Sangadisesa. It wouldn't be wrong to have panic arise if you're getting close to breaking a Sangadisesa rule, or if you have this, just the thought of a Parajika, Panic might arise, oh, how can I think that? Well, better make sure I don't follow that thought through. <clears throat> In the most extreme situation, then that might be some mental panic. We steer away from those kind of thoughts. Obviously, if they arise, you have to accept that. That's our old karma. Sometimes situations provoke different emotional reactions. But it's what you do next is where you're practicing, is, where, is what counts. And how do you deal with <clears throat> lustful thoughts, angry thoughts, jealous thoughts, the different thoughts and intentions that lead on to breaking the Vinaya. A lot of our practice is based around that. How well do we recognize those intentions? How well do we deal with them? And so sometimes it's not wrong to even panic internally. You know, just like a ship on the sea suddenly springs a leak. <coughs> you panic until you've bailed out the water or stopped the leak because you don't want to sink. Your practice is like that. Certain kinds of behavior, you, you, you might have that sense of panic or tension when certain intentions arise to break sila. 
this is part of the, this practice of vigilance or heedfulness that the Buddha was talking about. And we don't exactly know what lies around the corner in our life. Through, from our old karma, we can't be sure what might arise. So we have to be vigilant in different situations. When we're on our own, because sometimes extreme states come up when we're on our own. Sometimes with other people. Who knows what lies ahead. <clears throat> but the best preparation is this practice of heedfulness, vigilance. It's based on the appreciation of keeping the sila, hiriyotapa, and these qualities that guard over the mind. And in mindfulness, clear comprehension, actually considering wisely what we're doing through our day, how we spend our time, how we deal with the different situations, and deal externally with the external world, the material world, with other people, how we deal internally. And what do we do if we do have a thought based in anger arise? How do we deal with it? How well do we deal with it? We have a thought of lust arise. How do we deal with it? And these are essential reflections to bring up over and over again through our practice. And in the long run, it's giving you a guide to your practice. We can't always <clears throat> predict what will come up in our minds from day to day through our lives as monks but we can see how we're dealing with what does come up. And if we understand the basic principles of practice and we're putting effort into developing them, then it doesn't matter so much whether that's more modest mental states of suffering arising or more extreme ones. If we're dealing with them correctly, then we can say that's progress in the practice. How do we, well do we deal with greed, lust, jealousy, anger, worry, whether they're coming up often or rarely, or whether they're coming up strongly or very, in a very modest, moderate way. How well are we dealing with these different mental states? How well are we keeping the sealer? And these are reflections we can bring up over and over again, especially on days like this, Padimokha day, Visakha day. As you reflect more on your sealer, then that part of the mind becomes more alert, gains more knowledge, more skills. <clears throat> and these are exactly the kind of skills we need for deepening our training and development of meditation. So you're always alert to when unwholesome states of mind arise. You're always looking at what to do with them, how well to abandon them, 
what skills, what tools or strategies you have to abandon them. The fact that they are rising, we also, even there you have to look, is it because of unskillful ways of occupying the mind in the present, or is it just old karma that you can't do much about from the past, just prompting the arising of current unskillful mental states? Sometimes we have to be honest, if we keep thinking in a certain way and we keep falling into unwholesome mental states, keep suffering, getting agitation and confusion and suffering, well, maybe we have to change <clears throat> that habit. If it's something that's popped up, often related to past events, well, then maybe there's not much you can do to stop it coming up in the mind, but you can establish a, a way of dealing with it, with mindfulness and wisdom that's skillful. And this is, these are the qualities we're developing meditation, whether we're formally sitting and walking meditation or we're just involved in other more mundane activities. <coughs> A lot of our activities in the monastery are very ordinary, which is very useful for training in meditation and developing this kind of understanding of the mind. When we do very simple, repetitive tasks, well, you'll notice your mind state's easier. You can focus your mind on a meditation object as you do those activities. You can see when you have strong mindfulness, you're not giving in to unwholesome states, you're letting them go, then often very ordinary, menial activities and tasks can be quite enjoyable. But when you don't put effort into looking after the mind, maintaining your mindfulness, then obviously the more, the slightest task, whatever task you're doing, can be very, can bring up a lot of suffering. And practicing with heedfulness, the Buddha was encouraging us to be heedful at every level. The level of sila, the level of meditation, always coming back to looking after the mind, whatever the posture, whatever the activity. It may be sometimes we even have excuses, say certain activities are more worldly, activity so it's the mind can almost find an excuse well this is a this is a job to do with the world or this is engaging with the world so I can have more more defilements arise doing this it's almost like you're finding excuses to hold on to mental defilements you know, to indulge greed indulge anger but as a monk, you know, we're, a, we're a monk, a bhikkhu, 24 hours a day. <clears throat> we may, from time to time, be involved in more worldly activities. Things we do to serve the sangha, communicating with family, 
lay people and so on may bring you back to the world but there's no excuse not to look after your mind in those situations and that's where you have to be careful that's where you have to practice this vigilance and heedfulness say so the more we talk to people in the world if we're not strong enough in our practice well they'll tend to distract us take us to worldly ways of thinking worldly opinions on things and the very lay life that we left behind pull the mind back to it and if you talk to lay people they're full of suffering worries about their health and their future <coughs> worries about their money worries about their relationships all kinds of ups and downs and problems <coughs> you, you keep talking to them if you're not firm in your understanding of the practice and guarding over your own mind well your mind will start going back into those same habits you'll actually be prompting similar reactions in your own mind to those that you're listening to or observing in the lay life and the laity around you then you start looking more for support you know emotional support and refuge in the laity and the things that lay life can bring you that you think will solve your suffering basically you know you know, the more you involve yourself with the lay life if you're not clear in your practice then the more you'll start thinking like a lay person and the monk's life will seem less valuable the purpose of the monk's life will be less clear to you and it obviously will start to sound less attractive sound like a more difficult proposition so in the beginning of our practice we have to <coughs> protect ourselves keep bringing the mind back to the Dhamma, the Vinaya <coughs> even when we are on our own in the forest say, practicing vigilance, heedfulness you know, how well are we looking after our mind what does our mind like to dwell on what do we like to think about We have to find skillful ways to keep bringing the mind back to the Dhamma Vinaya. Bring up our meditation object. Really treat it as a, as a refuge. As you're falling asleep, as you're waking up. You turn to a mindfulness practice. When you're on your own feeling a little bit bored or restless. Or when we're ill, feeling weaker. Where do we let our mind roam to? What do we let our mind dwell on? This is the practice. And you'll see, teachers like Lumpur Cha, or even going back to the Buddha, you know, how, how did they deal with these very normal experiences that human beings have? <coughs> 
they kept returning to the Dhamma as their source of inspiration and providing them with the means to deal with the mind that wants distraction, the mind that needs all kinds of other things because of its desires and wanting. Ajahn Chah always said if you keep bringing up patience as you're training this mind, not give in, don't just give in to your desires, your moods. As long as you keep practicing, you'll get results. <coughs> That's patience, perseverance. So if you're caught into different moods, say when you're on your own in the, in the forest, different moods bothering you, holding, taking over your mind. And just have that willingness to be patient with the state of mind. Be patient meaning not giving into it and indulging it, but be patient in working with it to bring up mindfulness, to see it as just a transient state of mind and let it go. Free your mind from that. Patience to bear with any feelings of dukkha, you know, physical pain, mental dissatisfaction. Keep coming back to having the patience to deal with that. Keep coming back to putting effort into establishing mindfulness. These kind of practices are not beyond us at all. It's often it's just about whether we're willing to apply them. If we do, we keep developing the patience and the effort, then <clears throat> building on that happiness of sila, we start to get the happiness of letting go of mental defilements, whether it's just on the level of temporary liberation through samadhi practice, or little by little we're undermining them through developing wisdom, good habits, mindfulness, patience and then wisdom, we're actually undermining those defilements, the attachments. They're going to come up less, less often, less powerful. It means going to get angry less, fall into states of despair less, worry less, if you keep practicing in this way. You see, the whole flavor of the Buddha's practice was based around the practice of metta and compassion. <coughs> Whether it's for ourselves as one practitioner or for others. It's in our own interest to train this mind. However difficult it can seem, however much patience we need, you know, this ultimately is the kindest thing we can do for ourselves, the kindest thing we can do for others. For many practitioners, that's where they get their strength from. They're making sacrifices for others, but at the same time, they're developing themselves. In the end, they're kind of 
indistinguishable or inseparable. You help others by helping yourself, you help, other, you help yourself by helping others. And you could call the, kind, the practice we do a kind of giving, <clears throat> but giving that leads to giving up, giving up the causes of suffering from our heart. If you get into the habit of habit of giving up, you know, giving away material things by coming into the robes, giving up your time for the practice rather than worldly pursuits, giving up your <coughs> conceit, and practicing humility, and not seeking to build oneself up in a worldly way giving up one's anger through kindness and forgiveness, giving up one's greed, practicing nekama, contentment, giving up one's delusions by developing mindfulness and wisdom. You can see how the practice is, is one of giving and giving up, giving up to the Dhamma. But in the end you give up all those things you gain. You gain liberation of mind. So having said that, even though our aim is to develop inner happiness through the sila, through the meditation, at the same time, Ajahn Chah used to say, but if there is a little bit of discomfort there, that's good. Because that's reminding you of dukkha. Because <clears throat> obviously, the happiness we attain through the practice can be a cause for subtle indulgence or attachment as well. You can attain the happiness of sila, and you might just stop there in your practice and think it's good enough or even attain some peace, some ability to make your mind peaceful through samadhi. But again, it's not enough. We also have to gain insight. So sometimes the discomfort of the mind, it's actually pulling us back to the Dhamma. If we look at it with mindfulness and insight, we, it's a stimulus to see where our thinking is going wrong, where attachment is, sense of self arising or whatever. That feeling of discomfort though it can be our great teacher. Sajan so Chah said, Don't be afraid of a bit of dukkha, because that's what we're in the end, that's what we're learning from. You're developing enough goodwill, enough clarity that you can learn from the dukkha rather than just getting caught up in it. So I'll leave you with these thoughts tonight. <clears throat>